This morning is our second sermon in our Advent series this Christmas as we prepare for the arrival of the birth of Jesus Christ and we wait for the second Advent where Christ comes again. Today we are in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, you can raise your hand and Barent will come down and he'll hand one out to you. Again, we are in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. It is on page 555 of the Strike Team Bible is coming around. Now, our passage this morning is one of the most significant passages in all of Scripture. And we cannot fully understand and appreciate its significance without understanding its Old Testament background. So before we read the text, I just want to give a little bit of an overview of what's going on in the Old Testament and why this is coming to us now in Luke chapter 1. Our passage today is a direct fulfillment of God's covenant with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is arguably one of the most important passages in the Old Testament because we cannot understand the kingship of Christ without understanding this covenant that God made with David. Because the establishment of the kingship of David is the establishment of the rule of the Lord on earth. King David in the Old Testament represented the rule of the Lord and he represented the people of Israel. And as the king goes, so goes the people. And as king, God covenantally promised David in 2 Samuel 7. So let's look at that together. This is God's promise to David. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Now there's four things that we should note from this promise to David. First, God promises to make David's name great. Second, God promises that a direct descendant of David will occupy the throne. Third, God promises that David's heir will be to will be a son to God. And fourth, God promises that David's kingdom and rule are going to be everlasting. Now, if you're familiar with the rest of the Old Testament, this should raise in your mind a shadow. Because 400 years after God made this promise to David, there was no king in the line of David. And by the time the New Testament was written, um, which is what we're looking at this morning, the Israelites were wondering for 600 years, how could it be that David's heir would be king forever like like God promised? How long, O Lord, do we have to wait Will you hide your face forever, O Lord? God, are you still faithful to your promise? So this is the historical and the theological background of our text this morning. So let's look at it together. Luke 1, 26 through verse 38. 
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's holy word that cannot and does not fail. It would have been really easy for the Israelites during the time that Luke chapter 1 was written to doubt the certainty of God and his promises. And it can be real easy for us sitting here this morning to doubt the certainty of God and his promises to us. And it's easy for us to doubt because there are many things in our lives and in our world that are uncertain. All we have to do is look at the weather. That's uncertain. If you're a Minnesota sports fan, everything is uncertain. We cannot be certain about our health, Quite frankly, when we walk out the doors this morning, we cannot be certain about anything that will happen to us. We cannot be certain how much longer we will have religious liberty in our country. We cannot be certain what sin we may struggle with this afternoon or two weeks from now. We cannot know for certain what suffering we may have to go through in the future or why. College students, you cannot be certain what life will be like when you graduate. We cannot know for certain the state of salvation of some of our friends and family members. What are some of the things that you are uncertain of? On top of these uncertainties, the world is constantly throwing lies at us. There are many biblical scholars who say that we cannot be certain about the authority of the Bible. Think about that. Bible scholars say that we cannot trust the Bible. One scholar says about the four Gospels, quote, The four Gospels are a collection of largely uncertain, mutually contradictory, strongly legendary accounts, end quote. Some scholars say that we cannot be certain that Jesus was actually born of a virgin. Some say that Jesus was not fully man. 
Some say that Jesus was not fully God. And when you mix these lies in with the uncertainties of life, it can be easy to doubt the certainty of God and his promises. Do you ever have moments where you doubt the certainty of God and his promises to you? In the midst of all of the lies and all the certainties, this passage gives us two things that we can be certain of. And these are my two points this morning. First, we can be certain that Jesus is king. And second, we can be certain that nothing is impossible with God. So first point this morning, we can be certain that Jesus is king. This is coming from verses 26 through 33. In the passage last week, we learned that God came to Zechariah the priest and promised that he and his wife Elizabeth would conceive and give birth to a son. And this son would prepare the way for the promised king. Now this was all great, but as the text says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were advanced in years. They were old, and Elizabeth was barren. But God, in his grace, performed a miracle by allowing a barren old woman to conceive a child. And our passage this morning begins in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month, God sent his angel, Gabriel, to a young girl named Mary. And Mary was probably 12 or 13 years old. And the text makes it very, very clear, because it says it three times, that Mary was a virgin. She has had no sexual relations and she was engaged to be married to a dude named Joseph. And Joseph was in the house of David. And what that means is that he was a direct descendant of King David. And Gabriel, the angel, sent directly by God Almighty, comes to this little girl and he says to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. In other words, this angel comes to this little girl and he says, The God of the universe has chosen to pour out his grace on you and he is with you. And just like almost every time someone in the Bible sees and hears an angel, Mary was greatly troubled and was wondering what was going on. And just like almost every time when someone sees and hears an angel in the Bible, the angel responds, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. What favor has this nobody, little girl, found from God? Well, Gabe tells us in verses 31 through 33, where he says, And behold, you, little girl, Virgin Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow. What an amazing promise. This promise is the greatest baby announcement ever. And this promise to Mary is the beginning of the seventh birth narrative in Scripture. Seven being the number of completion. 
You have Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Samson, Samuel, John the Baptist, and seventh and finally, Jesus Christ. Now, there are many common themes to these birth narratives. Most of them are miraculous in the sense that you have barren women conceiving children and giving birth. But in the case of Jesus, it is not only miraculous, it is impossible. Because Jesus is conceived in an impossible way by a virgin. Now we'll come back to that later. Most of these birth narratives are announced beforehand by an angel. And when the angel comes to these people in these birth announcements, the angel is either announcing the birth of the son, who will continue the promised line of Abraham, or the angel is announcing the birth of the son, who will deliver and protect the promised line of Abraham. And when you get to Jesus, you see the combination of both of them, where he is the promised seed of Abraham, who will deliver and protect his people from their sins. To quote Miles Van Pelt, you could say that the birth narrative of Jesus is the true and better birth narrative. In other words, you could say that every birth in the history of creation is pointing to the birth of the God-man. Now, in these birth narratives, the naming of the child is significant. The name of someone either represents their character or it represents the circumstances of their birth. And Mary was to call the child Jesus. Now, the name of Jesus means the Lord saves. And the Lord is, or Jesus, his name is combining both why he, his character and the circumstances of his birth. In other words, the Lord himself has come in the person of Jesus Christ to seek and to save the lost. And now the promise continues to Mary about this child. He will be great. Now this is not just a random general statement about Jesus, that you know what, that Jesus, he's a great guy. But no, this is a promise that goes all the way back to David, where God says that I will make your name great. And what that means is, I will make you important. I will make you significant. And Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to David, because Jesus is the most important and most significant person in the history of the world. But not only is Jesus great, he will be called the Son of the Most High. Being called something carries the full weight of what that name is. For example, I call Charlie C.T. Stud because Charlie is actually a stud. It's true. It's true. It's an actual thing. Yeah. (laughs) Charlie's just looking at me with a blank stare. If you want a biblical example of this, in Luke 136, Elizabeth was called barren because she actually was barren. But in this case, Jesus will be called the Son of the Most High because he actually is the Son of the Most High God. He is the only unique Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity, and he is God in the flesh who carries the full authority of God Almighty. And again, we see another promise to David being fulfilled in Jesus, that he will be a son of God. 
Not only is Jesus the Son of God, but the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Jesus' earthly legal father is Joseph, who is a direct descendant of David, as we looked at earlier. This means that Jesus is a direct descendant of David. Again, God's promise to David that his direct descendant would be on the throne is fulfilled in Jesus. And Jesus is given the throne of David. And again, the establishment of the kingship of David is the establishment of the rule of the Lord on earth. And the establishment of Jesus Christ sitting on the throne is the establishment of the King of Kings coming to rule over his creation. Because Jesus has come as king to represent God and to represent his people. And he has come to rule over his people forever and ever. There will be no end to his kingdom. He is our great king who graciously rules over us with righteousness for all of eternity. And this is another exact promise fulfilled to David that his kingdom and his rule is everlasting. But the kingship of Christ is eternal. It has no beginning or no end. Jesus was king before creation. Jesus is the king of creation. Jesus is the king of recreation. And Jesus will be the king of the new creation. It's good news, right? There are many things in this world and in our lives that we are uncertain about. We cannot know for certain the state of our financial future. We cannot even know for certain if our children will be saved. But we can be certain that Jesus Christ is King. We can be certain that Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham who has come to deliver his people from their sins. We can be certain that the Lord himself has come in the person of Jesus to seek and to save the lost. We can be certain that Jesus is the most important person in the history of the world. We can be certain that Jesus is the only unique, authoritative Son of God. We can be certain that Jesus has come to represent God and represent his people as their king. We can be certain that Jesus is our great king who graciously rules over us with perfect justice and righteousness. And we can be certain that the kingship of Jesus is forever because we can be certain that Jesus Christ is king. Amen? Now when we understand the Old Testament background of this text, we understand that these are not just random isolated, truthful statements about Jesus. These are promises of God that are being fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ that are at the same time truthful statements about the kingship of Christ. In other words, what I mean by that is Jesus is the eternal king because God is faithful to his promises. God's faithfulness to his promises is as eternal as the kingship of Christ. And we can be certain that God will never, ever, 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 times a million and infinity, he will never be unfaithful. Just as we can be certain that Jesus Christ is king and his kingdom 
is forever. And there's nothing that is uncertain to our King Jesus. There are many significant things that we may never become certain of. Like, why did we have to have a miscarriage? Why do people we love keep hurting us? Why won't my family member or friend come to Christ? We may never know those things. And they are significant things. But we can be certain that our King knows all things. There is nothing that is uncertain or unknown to Him. And it is my prayer that these truths about the kingship of Christ cause our hearts to focus on the certainty of our King's certainty in the midst of our uncertainty. May we focus our hearts on the certainty of our King's certainty in the midst of our uncertainty. May we focus on the certainties of Christ instead of the uncertainties of life. Because of the certainty of Christ, we can live confidently in a world full of uncertainty. And this is what it means to live by faith. Faith is the confident assurance that God will do all that He has promised to do. Faith is the confident assurance that Jesus Christ is King and He is in control and He knows all things even when it doesn't seem like it, even when it doesn't feel like it. We can be certain that Jesus Christ is King and we can be certain that nothing is impossible with God. So second point this morning, we can be certain that nothing is impossible with God from verses 34 through 38. Mary had just heard the greatest baby announcement ever. And she responded with, How will this be since I am a virgin? How is it possible to conceive and give birth to a son if I've never been with a man? God using the means of marital relations to cause conception for a barren woman is an absolute miracle. But in Mary's mind, it is impossible for her to conceive and to give life out of nothing. How is this possible? The angel responded and answered her and said, in verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now this language refers to the presence of of God in and His glory. And what the angel is saying is that the presence of God will come upon her in some way so that she conceives the Son of God. Now there is some mystery to exactly how this happened. But what we do know is that the power of God can create life out of nothing. And what we do know is that Jesus Christ was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is something that the church has been confessing for years and years. We confess this in the Apostles' Creed that says that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. 
We confess this in the Nicene Creed, that Jesus was incarnated by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. And you can go on and on with different confessions and creeds throughout the history of the church. But the truth is that the power of the Holy Spirit did the impossible and created life out of nothing. Now notice the work of the Trinity here. God the Father sends the Holy Spirit so that the Son of God can be born in the flesh. And it takes all three working together for God to become man in the person of Jesus Christ. And it takes all three working together for God to accomplish redemption. And we can be certain that the Trinity will do everything that he has promised to do. We can be certain that God the Father has promised to save sinners through the person and work of Jesus Christ, and he has promised to apply that salvation to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we can be certain that because Jesus Christ was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will be holy and the Son of God. This is the theological significance of the virgin birth. That the work of the Holy Spirit allows Jesus to be born without the corruption of sin so that he can be the Son of God. And the Holy Spirit ensures that for his whole life, Jesus remains sinless. Now, since the Enlightenment in the 18th century, many scholars and people around the world deny the existence of miracles. And they look on a passage like this that talks about the virgin birth, and they say that that is impossible because miracles are impossible. And they are looking through Scripture through the lens of their philosophy. We have to ask ourselves a question. Are we going to believe what God's Word is plainly teaching us? Or are we going to look at Scripture through the lens of our philosophy or through the lens of our experience? Because big things are at stake here. If we deny the virgin birth, we deny the sinlessness of Christ, we deny the divinity of Christ, and we deny the authority of Scripture. And to the extent that you deny those things is to the extent that you are not a Christian. Because if we deny the sinlessness of Christ, there can be no salvation. If Christ is not sinless, we cannot be declared righteous by God by faith. Because by faith we receive His righteousness, His sinlessness. And without the divinity of Jesus, there can be no salvation from the wrath of God. If Jesus is not divine, God can, or Jesus cannot satisfy God's wrath in our place. But the bottom line here is that if we deny the virgin birth, we are denying the authority of Scripture. Because Scripture is very clear that the virgin birth took place. And when you deny the authority of Scripture, you can have no certainty about anything in this life. Are you going to believe the lies of this world or are you going to believe the plain teaching of God's Word? Because Scripture is true, we can be certain that Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and He was born of the Virgin Mary. 
We can be certain that Jesus Christ was born without the corruption of sin. We can be certain that Jesus is the Holy Son of God. These are amazing truths. And the text continues with God giving Mary a sign that his promises are certain. The sign is that Mary's relative, Elizabeth, who is old and barren, is already six months pregnant. And then God says to Mary through the angel, for nothing will be impossible with God. It's easy to doubt the miracles of God. It's easy to be uncertain of God's promises. The thing is, miracles are impossible. But there is nothing that is impossible with God. And we can be certain of God's promises because there is nothing impossible with Him. Now, verse 37 is almost an exact word-for-word quote from Genesis 18.14. And in Genesis 18.14, it's in the context of God promising a son to Sarah, who is 89 years old, who has been barren her whole life, and Sarah doubts God's promise. And in the midst of her doubt, God responds to Sarah with this question, Is anything impossible for the Lord? And it's as if God asks that question in Genesis 18:14, "Is anything impossible for the Lord?" And he answers that question again and again and again for 2,000 years until he fully answers that question in the birth of Jesus Christ. The virgin birth of the Son of God is not impossible for God. There is nothing that is impossible for God. Now, this does not mean that God will do whatever we want for us. Like give us the relationship we've always wanted. Or give us the child that we've always wanted. Or heal us in the way that we want. This does not mean that we can achieve amazing things because God is with us. Like make incredible three-pointers. It's a quote from Steph Curry. God does not promise that. God does not promise that we will make it to the top of the corporate ladder. But what it does mean that nothing is impossible with God is that He will fulfill His promises no matter how impossible they may seem. It means that God can create life out of nothing. It means that God can become man and live with His people. It means that God can bring dead hearts to life. It means that God will do everything that He has said He will do. It means that there is no one who is in this room who has sinned so much that they cannot be saved and forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. It means that even when we are faithless, God still remains faithful. It means that there is no trial that we cannot endure because God's grace is sufficient in our weakness. It means that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And it means that one day, by faith, we will stand face to face with our Savior. Because nothing is impossible with God. 
And we can be certain of that because of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Now Mary's response is so awesome. Mary responds to God's promise with faith and says in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What a beautiful response. There are many reasons for Mary to doubt God's promises. There are many reasons for Mary to be uncertain of what God is saying. But she responds humbly and faithfully because she is certain of God's word. How do you respond to God's promises? How do you respond to the uncertainties of this life? May we respond like Mary, with humility and with faith. Let it be to me according to your word. We can say this because we can be certain of God's word even in the middle of uncertainty. Our hearts can be certain of who God is and what he has promised even when we are uncertain of our circumstances. And we will not be certain of all things in this life, but we can be certain of God's word. And therefore, we can live confidently as servants of Christ our King in a world of uncertainty. Because we can be certain that Jesus Christ is King, and we can be certain that there is nothing that is impossible with God. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you will never, ever, ever be unfaithful to your promises. We know this is true because your word says it is true. We know this is true because of the amazingness of the virgin birth, that you created life out of nothing, and not just life, but the perfect life of the Son of God coming to dwell with us in the flesh. May we look to him this Advent season as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Christ. And as we look back to the birth of Christ, may we look forward to your second Advent, waiting, worshiping, and living confidently as servants because we can be certain of you and your promises. Be with us now, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.